0: Hey everybody, welcome back to the Ancient Art Podcast. I'm your host, Lucas Livingston. Back in episode 26, we had a close look at the Aphrodite of Knidos, a particularly famous 4th century BC statue by one of the most renowned sculptors of the late classical Greek world, Praxiteles. In this episode, number 48, we're going to look at another famous work by Praxiteles, the Apollo Saraktonos, a.k.a. the Lizard Slayer. As with the Aphrodite and so many other documented works of art from antiquity, the original Apollo Soroktonos by Praxiteles doesn't actually survive. Or does it? When the Cleveland Museum of Art announced its acquisition of a life-size bronze Apollo Soroktonos in 2004, it stirred up a lot of debate as to whether or not this could actually be the original work by Praxiteles from about 350 BC could be. Could be a later copy, or replica, or homage, whatever your preference. On account of the original's particular fame, though, what we have for certainty are a few mostly Roman replicas. This includes a marble sculpture in the Vatican and a bronze figurine in the Villa Albanian Rome. Another particularly well-known Roman copy is in the Louvre Museum. Um, Paris, France, if you didn't know. It probably dates to the second century of the Common Era. It's a life-sized marble measuring about one and a half meters high, or about four foot eleven. Here we see a nude image of the god Apollo, represented as a fit teenage boy leaning against a tree trunk with a lizard scaling up its side. Apollo's standing upright with his weight shifted to his right leg, his left knees bent with his left foot perched slightly behind the other, his right arm stretched out before him while the left arms held high braced against the tree. His head tilts downward and to his left, his gaze firmly entranced by the lizard. His youthful, wild hairs contained, seemingly with some difficulty, by a band around his head, perhaps suggesting the laurel wreath Apollo's accustomed to wear. The dynamic twist of his mass tilts the horizontal axes of his waist and shoulders, forming the classic contrapposto. The overall graceful composition of his form further exaggerates the contrapposto, creating a sinuous S-curve in the vertical axis. Thanks to ancient authors, we don't have to guess as to what's going on here. In book 34 of his Natural History, published around AD 77-79, Pliny the Elder tells us that although Praxiteles was more successful and therefore more famous for his marble sculptures, he made the youthful Apollo known as the Saroktonos because he's lying in ambush with an arrow for a lizard crawling towards him. An arrow most likely made out of bronze is customarily said to have once resided in Apollo's proper right hand pointing dangerously towards the lizard. In his left hand up above, many scholars like to imagine a slender bronze wire dangling its way down to form a leash cinched around the poor lizard's neck. Much like bronze sculpture itself, those bronze fixtures from antiquity are pretty scarce, as someone down the line invariably thought it'd be a bright idea to scavenge and repurpose the bronze for weaponry or whatnot. The humorous, albeit a little sadistic, subject to the sculpture is conventionally thought to be a tongue-in-cheek reference to the mythological battle over the sanctuary of Delphi between Apollo and the giant snake-like dragon Python. Variously described as a gigantic serpent or monstrous dragon, the fabulous beast Python was said to be the guardian of the oracle at the sanctuary of the Earth Goddess Gaia, at the location of what was later to be known as Delphi. Our good friend, the Augustan Age writer Ovid, informs us in his metamorphoses that Gaia bore the giant serpentine dragon who kept its lair on the face of Mount Parnassus. When Apollo engaged Python in battle, it took volleys of arrows by the thousands from his glittering bow to bring down the monster, who lay dying with its poisonous blood pouring from black wounds. In memory of this, the famous artistic and athletic contests, the Pythian Games, were said to have been founded by Apollo. We have to insert a footnote here. Ovid credits the foundation of the Pythian Games with the defeat of Python, but if you remember back to episode 19 on the ancient Olympics, other authors say the Games were founded in memory of the nymph Daphne. Ovid reserves the Daphne legend, however, for why Apollo started using a crown of laurel instead of a crown of oak. Now back to the program. With the overthrow of Python, the oracle transferred from Gaia to Apollo, and the name of the site changed from Pytho to Delphi, which has something to do with dolphins, but that's not relevant here. Some modern scholars are fond of interpreting this mythological transfer of power as a telltale signature of the conquest of the invading Hellenic Greek tribes over some pre-Hellenic culture. Ah, uh, yes, the ever-popular theory of the Dorian invasion. The ancient shamanistic cults devoted to snakes, rocks, and the primordial race of the Titans gives way to the civilized rule of the Olympian deities. Well, it makes for a fun interpretation. And if it sounds like we're smelling the vapors here, well, that's another theory. The oracle of Delphi seated upon her tripod throne was called the Pythia, a vestige of Python and Delphi's former name of Pytho. In popular culture since antiquity, it's been said that the Pythia delivered her divine oracular messages in the form of ecstatic babbling after getting high on natural gas emissions coming from a sacred crack in the ground. Holy chasmic prophecies, Batman. The Apollos Arctonus is a great example of late classical sculpture and aesthetics. Praxiteles has entirely abandoned the blockiness of early kouroi figures like the archaic metropolitan Kuros we explored in episode 16. He's even transcended the early classical artists yearning for the idealized masculine physique to give us here a more calmed down expression of realistic humanity. Furthermore, the grandeur of tales and legends conceived in monumental works of the earlier centuries continues to be explored by Praxiteles and his contemporaries, but in less direct ways, as metaphors, divine beings and mythical beasts are reduced to the mortal world of children and backyard animals. Think back to episode 6 on the classical lekythos. Remember the vase showing Ajax bearing his sword in preparation for his own suicide? There we had a similar allusion to a violent epic narrative through, all things considered, a pretty peaceful-looking scene. Here, the epic victory of the god Apollo vanquishing the giant dragon Python has been reduced to a parody of a mischievous child teasing a poor, defenseless, frightened lizard. Whether you're familiar with the background narrative or not, regardless, it sure makes for a great lawn ornament. Thanks for tuning in. As always, I encourage you to check out ancientartpodcast.org, where, for this episode especially, you'll find lots of great links and references in the footnotes of the transcript, including more details on the background of the Cleveland Apollo or Arctonus, and a few ancient accounts in translation of the battle between Apollo and Python, like Ovid and the Homeric Hymn to Pythion Apollo. I welcome your questions and comments at info at ancientartpodcast.org or on the website at feedback.ancientartpodcast.org. If you dig the podcast, please consider rating it on iTunes, YouTube, or Vimeo. You can also connect with the podcast at facebook.com slash Podcast, and get in touch on Twitter at Lucas Livingston. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time on the Ancient Art Podcast.